Thank you for listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from one of our Kingdom Conferences. Lord, would you open our minds, would you open our spirits, Lord God, would you open our capacity to not just hear this, but God, to comprehend what you're teaching us about the courts of heaven, Lord God. And so we just receive, and I, I should have said it this morning, but we receive Charlie, we receive Brian in the name of who they are in the kingdom as kingdom generals, Lord God, as kingdom fathers, Lord. We receive them, Lord God, so we can receive what you're releasing through them. And we declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 How many had a good lunch? Who had barbecue? Let me see. Yeah, you got a little bit left, right? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. Where, where did we go? Grand Zines. Oh, man, that was good stuff. Yeah, anybody like Grand Zines? I did. I put a dent in that food. Yeah. I brought my dent with me. Yeah, he's sitting right there. <laughs> all right, come on, let's get started. So, all right, what I want to do is I want to lay uh, a foundation so that we can, we can establish why it is that God has us function the way he has us function. Um, we're we're going to go for probably, um, let, let's, say, let's say maybe a half hour um, in, in kind of digging into this stuff. Um, and then I think what we'll do is we'll open it up to questions. So if you... Uh, so we'll just, we'll just kind of Q&A it. Charlie and I will get here. Uh, Joel Thornton is actually a real attorney, and, uh, and he, a real attorney, yeah, yeah. He is not a fake attorney, and uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't play one on TV. He stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night, so, yeah, but uh, anyway, we may not be able to answer it. Remember, we're still learning. Uh, no question is out of bounds. We may not be able to answer it. Remember, we're still learning and discovering just like you. Um, we may have had a little bit more experience, but one of the, one of the things I, I just want to begin with is somebody asked me earlier, you know, what, what, what about enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise? How does that factor into it? Well, look, that's the condition you need to be in, but it's not about actually engaging in those specific acts like, okay, I got to say, like 17, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, and then I praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you, and then you can get, it's not like that, you know that, we don't, that's not how we function, it's lifestyle. Lifestyle, uh, and, and so the other thing I want to mention is that, as I said earlier, responsibility, when you take responsibility, it demands authority, and so if, if we're taking responsibility, the more you take responsibility for the more authority God requires you to have so that you can accomplish what it is he's calling you to. Are, are you with me? Uh, there, there was a time that I was, uh, I was driving, and God takes me up to a mountain um, that you can see five counties and three states. And God says to me up in this, it's, it's the wintertime, long story behind it, but a long story short, he shows me this, this whole region, and he says to me, he said, I'm giving you this region now, he didn't mean that he was giving it to me personally. He meant me and who I'm representing in the body of Christ. And, uh, and ever since then, we've been in hard pursuit of the region and have a regional understanding of the kingdom of God and how it functions. And, and, 
And that caused in us to see how important other churches were, other churches within the region, other leaders within the region, and beginning to seek out what, what I call the kingdom players in that region. Like, who is it that's carrying the authority in that county over there for the kingdom? And, and we need to begin to work together. And then, then he says, okay, now you have to have authority to walk in that. Because God never set you up for failure. He always equips you for the things that he has for you to accomplish. And when there's a devil that has an argument against your family, against your life individually, against your business, against your school that you're in, against your house, against your pastor, he always wants to equip you to be able to deal with the works of the devil. Am I right? To put all of his enemies under his feet. So, so let's, take, let's take a step back for a minute, and let's do just kind of an overview of this thing. Now, Jesus was crystal clear when he inaugurated the kingdom. Um, I'm going to go through stuff pretty fast. And so about what I'm talking about later, email me. I'll be happy to go through it in detail. But for brevity's sake, I think we just need to, to lay that groundwork, okay? So Jesus, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, establishes the kingdom of God specifically. In Matthew, of the kingdom of God. How many of you know the United States began with a declaration of independence? It was a declaration that a new nation was formed. In Matthew 5, there was a declaration of the kingdom of God being restored to the earth. The kingdom of God is not something new. It's not a new concept that when Jesus came, that, that he formulated. It's a restoration of what God intended and functioned in from the very beginning. Are you with me? So in Matthew 5, and then in Matthew 6, we see that there is the constitution. Matthew 6 and 7 is the constitution of the kingdom of God. In other words, in, in, in 5, 6, and 7, you see the declaration, the inauguration, the declaration, and then the constitution of the kingdom of God. In other words, God says, this is how it's going to function. This is what it looks like. Here's how, and, and then the rest of the book of Matthew is about the outworking. After he inaugurates it, here's how it actually functions. Does that make sense? Okay, so in the middle of three, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. You guys have heard that verse over and over again. You believe that verse. You walk in that verse. What, what is it? What does it mean? It means that in first in priority, effort, urgency, we seek the kingdom. If, if it's something that God tells us to seek, how many of you know it's something that is to be discovered? It's his intention for us to discover what is not currently found which means that there are things that are ahead of us that we do not currently walk in. You all would agree with that. I'll give you a few examples. Um, 200 years ago, you never had people say, not in the sense that we have today, evangelists, yeah, there were some, and pastors were established. But the, um, a little over 100 years ago, as people began to pray in Azusa Street, the Spirit of God was poured out, and the gifts of the Spirit were inaugurated back to the earth, restored back to the earth. And now, how many of you speak in tongues? How many of you pray in the Spirit? Let me see your hands. How many of you prophesy? Let me see your hands. Look, that's a truth that had to be discovered. 
someone had to take responsibility and begin to hit their knees and call out to God. And then God, because of the responsibility, gives them authority and, and deposits within them something of heaven and restores it to the earth. Now, when God restores something to the earth, he never takes it away. Isaiah prophesied that. He set that as a principle. Of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. Once something is deposited on the earth that has been absent since the fall, once it's reestablished on the earth, it does not return. That's a principle that we can walk in. And so now, everything that we pursue and discover, it's not easy to get up here and talk about the courts of the Lord. Because for most of the body of Christ, they would look at you sideways and have you, you know, burnt on a stake as a heretic. Are you with me? What? But, but look, that's, that's part of the price of discovery. You, you've got to go where no one has gone before, or at least not since the beginning. You, you have to go into a place where, where there's not a lot of navigational points. There's not a grid. There's not a map. There's, there's no one else has been there. It's, it's, it's the pioneering spirit. Come on, you all sing about the pioneering spirit. You all wave flags about we want to be pioneers. But when it comes time to actually strike out and go where no one has gone before, and when there's no markers and there's nothing around you to help guide you except you and Holy Spirit, that can be a little bit, yeah, good word. Does that make sense? But we, 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 we got to be willing to do that because it's the pioneers that bring things from heaven to earth. And, and we're called by God to reestablish heaven on earth, Right? I mean, Papa Jack said it this way. He called, them the, he called these things kingdom sightings. And he said, look, when you, when you glimpse something of the kingdom, it's always for the purpose of reestablishing that thing to the earth. Are you with me? He, you, God never lets you see something without you being able to get hold of it. It's always to bring. Do you remember Tommy Tenney? And, and he wrote that book, God Chasers, right? And he uses the example of, you know, the curtains, like he's playing with his two-year-old hide-and-seek, right? And he gets behind the curtains, and, and, and his two-year-old, he's like, hey, Billy, whatever his name was. And, and Billy's searching around the room. Well, two-year-olds are not very good at that, and they lose interest really quick. So you got to be fast about this thing. And so when, when Billy came near the curtain, he was hidden behind the curtain, he left his toes stick out and he wiggled his toes. Why? Because he wanted to stay hidden? No, because he wanted to be found. Anytime God gives you a glimpse of something like that, he's sticking his toes out. And he's wanting to be found. Are you with me? What, what's the need of the courts of heaven? All right. Now, what, what's the need of the courts of heaven? I go back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was, or said a different way, would become a formless and desolate emptiness, darkness over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. So in those three verses, you have creation, you have corruption, and you have redemption. I would submit to you that those three verses are a summary of what God intends to do on the earth. They're not as much chronologically linked to the next verses as they are a summary for God to say, and, and there's a reason that becomes so important. It's setting, it's the setup for what he wants to do. Stores it.
Are you with me? So, so, so where are we in that process? We're somewhere late in verse 3. We're in the restoration process. We're, we're in the process. You say, well, well, wait a minute. I mean, I thought, I thought Jesus was the one that brought the restoration. Well, he's right there. You say, wait, I, I don't see Jesus. Really? Then God said, God said, God spoke. He used a word. Come on, somebody. He used a word, and what was that word he used? He said, let there be light. Who is the light of the world? Are you with me? Okay, so we have creation. We have corruption. We have restoration. And the Godhead is there. God is speaking his will. The Son is the word of his will. And Holy Spirit is the breath of his will. It's a portion of himself. When God releases his will, he's not releasing like, you need to behave yourself. No, no, no. What he's releasing to you is a measure of himself, of all that he is, of of his perfection. When he speaks his will, he's giving you of himself. Are you with me? Because earth is corrupted... And separated, a need existed to remove corruption and restore heaven to earth. Look, when, when, when the earth was corrupted, there was a separation that took place. Because of, of corruption at the fall of man, separation had to occur. Earth had to be separated from all of heaven due to the usurping of another kingdom, the kingdom of the darkness, right? Are you with me? So because of sin, because of the fall... This perfect creation that God made in, in, in and of himself was, was that man was not able to occupy the place we call heaven or function in that place called heaven. Are you with me? Okay, so, so then... We all agree that we are in a war. Is that right? 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage battle according to the flesh. For the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing, taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And when your obedience is complete, ready to punish all disobedience. Now, Now, those terms have a legal implication to them. So we have a separation of kingdoms. It begins the process in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 of inaugurating the kingdom, declaring the kingdom, telling you how the kingdom functions, but he doesn't stop there. He, he goes on, and, and he restores the kingdom to mankind, positionally. Jesus gives of himself. Now, here's the interesting thing. Could Jesus have ascended to the Father if he didn't go through the cross? Could he function in heaven if he didn't go through 
the cross? Now, that's a very complex question, but let me offer you a very easy answer for it. Yes. He did not sin. He had access to the Father. He would come and he would go into the garden. And what would occur in the garden? These crazy things would happen in the garden. There was this, this were there. They're dead. Well, dead in the sense of, of physical death. Then how were they standing there? Because heaven opened. And, and there was this, this open gateway where, where Elijah and Moses were standing there. Jesus had the ability to go through that veil. If, if, you, if you can see it this way, that, that the temple itself is a picture of the gateway between heaven and earth. So you have the altar of God. And what's, what's going on on the altar of God? What, what's on the altar? You have the wood. You have the brazen altar. But the wood isn't just sitting there. What's the wood doing? It's burning, right? So you have that, this fire, and then what's coming up from the fire? There's smoke that's ascending, right? Um, you see that same picture when Moses and the people of Israel are going through the desert. You saw this, this other. And, and so the altar itself, the altar of God in Moses' tabernacle is symbolic of the altar that, that we stand on, that as we place ourselves on the altar of God, as we give ourselves to him, we ascend in the smoke and fire and we pierce the veil between time and the eternal and we send to the Father where we're seated before him and we're able to do what Jesus did. He said, I don't do anything unless I see the Father do it and I don't say anything unless I hear the Father say it. It says we're seated with him in heavenly places. We're able to do that when we get on the altar and we ascend through that gateway of God. And keep in mind, I'm going very fast through this stuff. But we ascend into that place, and now we're given position before the Father. You with me so far? Okay. So, so we know that Jesus established first. Oh, oh, I need to go back and kill that rabbit that I chased. I ask you, was Jesus able to ascend to the Father without going through the cross? Yes. So then why did he go through the cross? Not for himself. He went through the cross for us. So he could reestablish us to that place before the Father. Are you, are you with me? See, see, the problem is, the Word of God says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The aeonia zoe, the eternal life, the heaven kind. Eternal life doesn't, doesn't just mean the longevity of life. It's talking about the quality of life. It's the heaven kind of life. The life that God intends us to walk in with him. Are you with me? That's, that's what's available to us. To have that heaven kind of life, our problem is that when we sin, the wages of that sin is death. 
But God desires to gift us eternal life, and we know the only way that that can happen is because of what Jesus did, right? Are you with me? Because of what Jesus did, we now have eternal life. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting or the heaven kind of life. So we know that we accomplish that. Here's the hitch. Here's where darkness really messed up. So the wages of sin is death. In other words, the way to death is through sin. And yet, Jesus was crucified a sinless death. One who did not commit sin. Darkness has the right to bring death to anyone who sins. But, he, but darkness, Satan, Lucifer, the horde of darkness, does not have the ability to bring death to someone who is sinless. I believe the moment that man sinned, already the solution was made. The Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the Father put their heads together and said, okay, we're not going to let it this way. We're going to redeem mankind. Jesus knew he could not bow his knee to sin. And because he did not bow his knee to sin, he had a sinless life. And therefore, darkness had no ability to bring death to him. And yet, darkness still brought death. Darkness broke the law that we have ever seen so far on this planet was when Jesus was crucified, entombed, descended to hell, carrying all of our sin on his back, punished for three days. He allowed that to happen. It was his love that that moved him for you and I. He, he thought about you. As he, as, he, as he loaded my sin on his back, he said, my brother Brian, I love him so much, Father, please. Let me have this. Everyone, he named you by name. Please let me have her sin. Let me take it on my back. I'll, I'll carry it. And Father, I will put it where it belongs because I want her restored to you. I want her to walk with you. I want her dad in your business, in our business. I want him to function. I want her to be able to have every good thing that you've, you've made for us. I, I want them. If you'll let me, I'll share everything I have with them. And he descends to hell. And we know what happens next. He takes and he, he shifts sin from his back, which he had no attachment to except for his love. And he places it where it belongs, in the pits of hell. And he goes to ascend, but he stops. He said, oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. No, you, you don't just 
not get to kill me, you need to pay a price. There needs to be punitive damn act. And he says, I want something for what took place. Give me the keys of death, of hell, and the grave. And he takes those keys. And as he's passing up through the earth, he's seen on the earth. And he said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. I have to go to the Father. He ascends to the courtrooms of heaven. He takes his blood and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat as the righteous payment for all of our sin. He was able to do that because he never sinned, and yet he was, he was crucified. He was killed. He was murdered, and yet he never sinned. That's where the enemy messed up. Come on, somebody. And as he ascends to the Father and he pours his blood, he now stands before the Father in the courts of heaven. He petitions the courts and says, for all time and eternity, and says, for everyone who will enter in under his lordship, it's only under his blood, it's only under his authority, it's not just mine, it is now theirs. And that's, that's why we can enter the courts of the Lord. Because he paid the ultimate price and he took from us those things that would ratchet us, that would bar us, that would keep us from functioning in heaven. The keys of death, of hell, which was the ultimate destination of someone who walked in sin. And if your destination ultimately is not hell, that means sin does not bind you anymore, but you're able to ascend. If, think about this. If the ultimate destination for you was hell and that mark is removed from you, then what is your ultimate destination? It is before the Father in heaven. Come on, somebody. And so now we, we have the, the ability to function as restored sons and daughters. But our function in heaven had formed, and Jesus was given an assignment from the Father to restore the sons and daughters of God back to the Father each one of us are given a position in heaven, not just to do what we feel like doing. Listen, I'm, I'm going to love worshiping and praising in heaven, joining with the angels, falling down before him. I'm going to love all that stuff. But I want to tell you, that's just the beginning. You got work to do. You got work to do. Come on, somebody. I love to worship and praise him. I love to ascend to the Father. I love to join with the angels. Look, by the way, Somebody saw angels in here this morning. Who was that? You're, put your hands up. You saw angels. If you saw an angel in here this morning, sometime, you saw an angel in here, Macy? Yeah? What was the angel you saw? Do you know? Do you recognize him? You, you heard him singing. Oh, come on. Come on. Macy, lay hands on Charlie, and he'll, he'll be able to get some of the gifting you're walking in. So here's my point, and, and I'm going to finish this up, and, and then we're going to go to questions and answers. Because of the responsibility that you're willing to take, God gives you an assignment for that responsibility that you're willing to take. Let me not stop what Holy Ghost is doing. Come on, somebody. Hey, open his eyes up, Lord. Put your hands on his eyes, Macy. Come on, come on. Let me tell you how holy this girl is. I said it as a joke. She took it as an assignment. Come on, somebody. Who's hearing God right now? 
<laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on. Come on. That's so good. Yeah, baby. All right, so let me wrap this up. As you take responsibility, you're given authority. We already understand our legal position to why we can ascend before you can walk. There are going to be times that you're going to need to go into the courts of the Lord. It might be for yourself. One of the most powerful times, the experiences that I have, is a thing in the courts of the Lord called discovery. The enemy loves to keep things hidden that he has against you. You understand, if the enemy has a legal argument against you, he goes before the courts of the Lord, enters that legal argument in the courts of the Lord, and can keep that against you. You understand that the only way to have that removed is to legally have that argument removed. Yes, yes, absolutely. That's, yeah. You understand the courts of heaven... Natural courts are reflective of the courts of heaven. Where did, these, where did our founding fathers get this stuff from? They got it from heaven. These were men and women of God that helped form not just our nation, but other nations. And they called out to God and they said, God, how do we rule this nation? And I believe from heaven, the earth is reflective of what God already intended in heaven. Why? Because eventually the two will again be one. Come on, somebody. Yeah. So the point is, yeah, thank you. The point is, in discovery, the truth must be told. The enemy told me that there was an argument against my generations, against my great-grandfather. And I went into the courts, and I said, okay, and, and there's a docket number, and we went through the procedure and the protocol, and I, and I stood at the bench, and, and I said, I demand to know what the argument is against financially against my family. And the enemy just sneered. It's, it, this one representative of darkness is this slick looking guy who just I just like to choke the fire out of come on somebody but he's sitting over here at the other at the other bench and uh he said I'll show you what we have he said it's sitting right outside and and I looked outside and there were there were six moving vans in the courts of heaven I threw open the door and it was boxes and boxes the whole way to the top, just reams and reams and reams of paper that were the argument against my family. So I took the first box out and opened the first box. And I looked, and the papers were blank. And I looked. And so I threw that box down, and I got the next box. And I go, the last truck, blank, to the last box, blank. Till I got to the last paper in the very bottom of the last box of the last truck, and it had writing on it, and my heart sunk. See, the enemy will flood you with things to keep you busy and prevent you from the business of God. But Holy Spirit has a way of leading us. Remember, Holy Spirit is our leader in the courts of heaven. He is our counselor in the courts of heaven. He guides us. Many times I will turn to Holy Spirit and say, what do I do? And he'll specifically says that I enter on this date and this against Edward Carter Higby, my great-grandfather, because he committed, and it was blurred. It was smudged. 
I'm like, well, I'm never going to know. And, and Holy Spirit said, stop. You, you must take that back into the courts and demand to know what this says. And so I took the document into the courts and I said, I demand to know what this says. And immediately that attorney, this is what happened. He began to curse me and like got crazy angry and said, you no good block or block or block. And I'm not going to say what he said, but it was, it was horrible in the courts of the Lord. Now I'm, I'm looking like, I'm looking at the angels that are in the courtroom and I'm like, oh dude, you're going to like explode or something. But he stomps out of the courtroom. Man, because what, what was written is not revealed, it has to be removed. And so I turned to the father and I said, father, would you rule on this? And he said, yeah. And he, he ruled on it and said, this is removed. There's no longer a case. This is satisfied. The judgment is satisfied. You no longer have this argument against you. Within three days, within three days, the organizations that I have in charge of, that I'm in charge of, the finances began to change immediately because that's what this argument was all about. And it happened that quickly. Does that make sense? Can someone give God a hand clap? All right, come on. All right, so, so I'll tell you what let's do. Um, let's, let's just open it up to questions and answers. Uh, no question is, is uh, out of bounds. We'll answer what we can. Pastor Jay, if you could be up here as well. And maybe, uh, Joel, if you can be up here and just uh, available from the legal side of things. You guys all okay? To have a mic available for the folks that are asking the questions. Okay, we have that. So if you have a question, throw your hand up and wait for Stephen to come to you so you can ask the question on the mic. Okay, who's got a question? Fire away. Yes, sir, right here. Uh, what are some of the... The, can you use examples of what, what, what are the hindrances that you mostly see that people have or through family generational curses or something that is hindering somebody from receiving from God? Something that... Um... Yeah, let me answer that one real quick. Yeah, probably for me, my experience has been the words that I have spoken. The enemy is, is not everywhere at all times, but he is aware oftentimes and listening very closely to the words that come from your mouth. When we curse ourselves, we're actually allowing the enemy to record those words and enter them in the courts of heaven so that the very thing that God intended for us cannot take place is barred actually from us being able to walk in that because the enemy has entered a judgment against me. that. I discovered that's the source of the argument against me. Let, let's say I spoke to myself. Well, actually, yeah, I'll just say I spoke to myself. And, and said, you know, I'll never be a success. Well, the enemy, if he has that and enters that in the courts of heaven, he has a legal right to keep you from success because of the own words, the power of your own words spoken against you. And so what I do is I go before the court and I said, here's, here's what needs, that needs to be satisfied. And so I said, Jesus, who's standing at the right hand of the Father, would you apply your blood to me? For the words that I have said, I confess them. I confess these words that I have spoken to you. Jesus applies. He's, he's never denied me. He's always applied his blood to me. And now I turn to the Father and I said, Father, would you judge me 
not according to my behavior, but according to the righteous blood of Jesus, because it has to be judged. He's a righteous judge. That's what he does. It has, but according to the righteous blood of Jesus, and then he marks the foul satisfied and removes that argument against me. Does that make sense? You want to add to that? Yeah, go ahead. Right here and then in the purple. I want to record you, so I'm putting my voice memo thing on. Um, <laughs> I was wondering how you would go about praying for a non-believer to, like in the courts of heaven, if they don't know God, how would you go about doing that? You want to take that one? Um, first of all, God gives life, so there is an attachment to that person. And what I normally do is I repent for their sins that are obvious to me, and I own them as their, their minds so the paperwork can be dealt with. The scales can come off their eyes. Then they can make a choice for themselves. What does it say? It says uh, Jesus came and he breathed on his disciples. And he said, whosoever sins you forgive will be forgiven. Whosoever sins you retain, they'll be retained. So I take that literally. They're so-and-so sins are forgiven. She hasn't recognized it yet. I take the paperwork out of the devil's hands that is blinding her ability, hardening her heart to be able to see, receive the love of God. I, I've done that quite a bit. I've seen people absolutely have encounters with God. I, and, I, and it's a simple fact. I've taken the paperwork out of the devil's hands. I've repented on their behalf. I, I've filled that gap. And I, you can... You can in, at the level that you're willing to take responsibility, God will give you authority in the courtrooms for it. That help? Right here, and then, and then Randy next. Yeah, so this is kind of along the lines of the curses. Um, you had said, or Charlie said earlier, about Christian curses that he had received um, from other churches and stuff. And I was just kind of wondering if you could speak more specifically, not your situation, but like what those look like, like how Christians curse others, maybe without saying I curse you, but what that looks like. I mean, is it just every careless word? Is it? So we, we know this, that we know that relationship in the kingdom of God is the most important thing, right? Yeah. If the kingdom of God is anything and it is everything, it is supernaturally relational. To the extent that you have relationship is the extent that you have more authority in someone's life, right? We all agree with that. Husbands have more authority over their wife's life than what their boss does, right? And, and so on. So, so when, when you have greater authority, the curses that we speak over someone actually have greater authority depending on the relationship that we have. When we function in the realm of the spirit, words are in the natural realm what thought is in the supernatural realm. Words in the natural realm, be very careful how we think. Thinking becomes the most important thing. God desires us to think with him. So if we think something evil over someone when we're operating in the supernatural realm, it's the same as a word curse spoken in the natural realm. You can push back at that if you want to, but I've seen it play out many times. And so, so, um, so I, I wanted to introduce that thought because the relationship we have with someone can determine the level of effectiveness or effect that, 
that argument can have over our lives. Now go ahead and answer the, the second part of her question. Did that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, it was somebody that was in my leadership. It was not Brian Higby. Um, and, and he was an angry man, and he wasn't getting what he wanted. He felt like I should have put him in a position of great authority. And I felt arrows go through my spirit, man. And I, I can take that, but I was kind of irritated, so I grabbed it. And like, where did this come from? So I showed up in his living room and realized it came from him, word cursing me. So I called him in the morning, and I said, hey... You got an anger problem. I got shot up from your word curses last night. I'm telling you, you stop it or I'll send it back. And so I, I dealt with that. And that was, that was this relationship thing that we were, are in a relationship. We are in ministry together. And, and I'm telling you, Christians are worse than devils. Especially spirit-filled ones. Yeah, and spirit-filled ones are mean in both languages. But, but this is why you have to guard this. Um, the Lord said to me one day, he said, I'm really proud of you. Why? He says, you may cuss a little, but you never curse. Because I... My we, don't, we don't need an example. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when, when you start operating in, in, in the authority that God's given you, you realize life and death sometimes is in your tongue. Isn't that what it says? Yeah. Well, thank God some of you don't have a lot of authority or I'd be dead. But when you start operating in those levels of authority, you have to be much more careful. But then you have to go back to the blessing is greater than any curse. So if I can bless you, it'll cover any curse, whether you know it or not, and bring you into a relationship with Father. And that's where I think the body of Christ, if we catch this course thing, you will bless before you'll curse. And if and 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 you, it's it's not judgment of wrath. It's judgment of mercy, when God decides to deal. And it's not actually. It's discipline. It's not punishment. He's a good father, but he will whoop your butt. Why? Because he loves us and, and yeah. says, change the behavior, change your thinking. Don't you know that I've given you an identity with the mind of Christ? And you know, it's, it's just like when I I agreement with what a lie. A falsehood, your son's going to die. Are you man enough to get him saved? Dude, that was a shock to me when I realized I was coming into agreement with a lie. And I was about to eat the fruit of it. You got anything, Tony? I was just going to correct one statement. That's a little. Okay. So I yeah. have a question back to the one about unbelievers are you doing that without them before you approach them or are you doing that with them um sometimes it's a tug on my heart higby says it this way you can't have any authority over something you don't love so if i start a love relationship because i see they're lost they need to get born again that gives me access and so then I will start operating in that authority. you got to be careful with that because then it becomes access or availability to do that. And I think my evangelism gift kicks in when I get like that. 
There's a question back there, and then, and then back up here, Steve. So you mentioned self-curses. Um, what about, like, how would you go about a parental curse? Like, your father said, you'll never amount to anything, mm. or... You know those sort of things. How would you deal I think with both that? Had in the a number of those. Yeah, my my father started. said that over me when I was. My dad's uh, favorite uh, saying was, "You could stick your brain up a natural end, it'll rattle like a BB in a box car." Right, right. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times as a kid I heard that curse, and the the, the funny part was, you know, I was a rel relatively intelligent kid, but there was something when I was applying it to school where it wasn't reconciling. And I discovered that um, it, it was that, that word curse that, that took place. And so what do I do? I go before the Father and I ask the Father if he would write a declaration over me of how he sees me. And then I take that and I take that before the courts and I say, this is the greater Father that has spoken this over me and it cancels out the words of a natural Father and I walk in the identity that my heavenly father has given me rather than my natural father. Okay. That, that's the key right there because, yeah. you know, what father are you looking to for your affirmation and yeah. your true identity? Yeah, exactly. I, I have a follow-on to that. I have several um, godsons that are now in their teens, and they, their fathers have said those sort of curses. Their uh, non-existent fathers now uh, have said those same sort of curses over them. What sort of blessings can I say over them that would be, um, you know, evidence in the court of heaven, per se? Or, or um, uh, probably I, one of the most brilliant. Papa Jack said this to me one time. He said, "When, when you speak a word, it's like a wisp of smoke, but when you write a word, I think the written word is so powerful." I have a friend of mine who sends me uh, to several of us brothers a written word of encouragement. And it is so ridiculously powerful. And so uh, what I would re recommend to you first, I would say, write over them. Mm -hmm. Write over them the blessing of the Lord, but, but then encourage them to approach the Father and hear from the Father those words and yeah. write them down. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, one of the things I did with my dad, because I went to the Lord because I asked him to kill him and he wouldn't do it. I'm a fighter. And so, so when I got, got with God, it's like, what is his root issue? And, and, and the Holy Spirit said, well, he's, he's an orphan. Orphans don't father. They rule. And so I was like, well, what's the answer to this? And I started pursuing, and I, I wound up with Papa Jack and actually had a spiritual father that brought so much emotional healing to me and love. He knew your first name. Yeah. I was. His name. Yeah, he says, then when are you going to man up and father your father? So you can't father something you don't love. And so I, I, I started the process of dealing with the emotional wounds, the anger, the abuses. <laughs> Listen, my, my mom in 97, um, before she died, she had an encounter with Jesus. She said, I need to talk to you. It was three weeks before she died. She said, I went to heaven. I saw your gifting. I saw your calling. But I have a word from the Lord. If you, if you disobey it, you'll never be successful in ministry. It's about your father. He's a man of faith. He's not a man of the spirit. He's going to do everything he can to destroy your gift and calling. But if you learn to do war with honor, the day will come he'll serve you. And when that day comes, God will use you. She died three weeks later. So at 82, my dad and I had a lot of wrestling matches. 
And he calls me up and he goes, you offended me this weekend. I'm like, what did I do now? He said, you said I was a spiritual orphan. I said, well, I want to make sure you understand you're the worst one I've ever met in my life. I mean, let's get that. I said, you've been, but God had prepared my heart to father my father. I expected another round of boxing. And he says this to me, when are you going to man up and pray a father's blessing over me and teach me who God is like you know? And you watched it. Abby. I started fathering my father. And so the, these principles work. And so when we, I, I find brokenness in my spiritual sons. I will grab them by the ears and I'll look them in the eyes. And I am so proud of you. I release a father. Why? Because the father's blessing is where you get your identity from. I'm so proud of you. And I cancel anything that's been done that would destroy your identity. And, and I literally, I go into heaven. I feel a, a, a key come in my hand and it, it fits in heaven and it unlocks the vault of their inheritance. Why? Jacob spoke over his sons and the inheritance of their lives came out of heaven on every one of his sons. I feel it open and I release that to them. It's heaven's inheritance. It's not mine, but I have the key to unlock it because I sit in the seat of a spiritual father. Another question. Far away. Yeah, over here. And then over here next to you. So going back to um, praying for others, I'm wondering if it would be any different if they're active in the occult, like actively choosing witchcraft. And I do have actually one family member, a little bit of a relationship, and he gets lots of women and attention, and he's got goats up and down his neck and his arms, so that's one. And then also just people in the world, the witchcraft church that's growing. You said um, that's part of your family line? One cousin, yes. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, so, so you have some authority there. You, you have, you, because of your relationship, you have legal access. What I would do is I would go into the courts of heaven and I would de demand to know what the root cause is that witchcraft has the ability to manifest in your family and have effect in your family. You may find that it's only in the place of violation, a trauma, something to that effect. And then you can deal with that thing according to the appropriate measures in how it needs dealt. So they wouldn't acknowledge it, but there's a lot of manipulation and control, but they don't call themselves witches. Sure. But then he's the more extreme one. Yeah. 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 I, 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 it doesn't really matter whether you call it witchcraft or not when it's that kind of manipulation. It's witchcraft, you know. So I, I would use that. I would, I would go back. Something else? Yeah. I mean, God will give you the resources. Listen, the devil's a legalist and God's a great lawyer. Let me suggest something else, too. Uh, we, we, not everything's a court case. Um, I, I went before the Lord, and I, I said there was, matter of fact, I had that. I actually wanted to, it's very short, but I, I wanted to share with you all. But basically, um, it said, now, uh, yeah. ah, here it is, yeah. It was in the court of dissent. The court of dissent is a, is a court that, things that are coming from heaven to earth, the enemy somehow uses a method by which to prevent those resources from coming to the earth. And it was concerning the finances on City Church. And I said to the, to the great and righteous judge, can I approach? And he said, you may. I said, Your Honor, the finances of City Church, our church, have been tampered with. We have less than enough. 
which, in, which is in direct violation of your word. I demand to know any accusation against the finances of City Church. I was directing that at darkness. So I, do place, a, I place a demand on uh, the courts of heaven, on darkness, to require uh, a presentation of any accusation against City Church. And this is what the judge said, the father. He said, we have no case entered concerning accusation against financing. You think with poverty, so don't blame us. Yeah. <laughs> so the point is that I had to change my thinking, not go to the court and get someone else to resolve some profits. And I didn't want to go, but then the Lord said he had something for me to do. And so I drop into a court case. I deal with it. I show up on Tuesday night and everybody's prophesying pink Cadillacs and revival because we're all that in a bag of chips. And that ain't what I got. So finally, the pastor says, what do you got? And I said, well, I was in a court case last night. Here's the bottom line. I says, you're worried about your finances, and you're never going to get a broken until you repent and replace the money you stole from the last two people you fired. That's what's against you. Everybody looked at me like, well, that's not real nice. No, it's the truth. I says, is that accurate? And he goes, yeah. I said, then you need to go fix that. Well, that's a court case. He asked for it. I found it. There, so much of the times, you you you. You won't repent, you don't have integrity, and then wonder why you're not blessed. And I just killed the atmosphere in the room. Uh, over here, up here, and then, and then right here. Oh, okay, you good? Did we answer your question? Oh, good. We got to hear that sweet voice. Come on now. I know this is for me because I was at work and the Lord is like, go. I'm like, okay, I just clocked out. I just came here. And I feel like this week, I, okay, so I've been praying and fasting and doing all the stuff. I left my country. I came here for 13 years. So I feel like I've been pressing really hard. I've been asking the Lord for things and they haven't been happening. And I've been telling my spiritual mom because there were many curses I was aware of. Like I used to be choked by demonics. And then the Lord threw me through a journey. And then he came into the room. He's like, you will never go through this again and ever since then. I haven't, and I feel like the Lord speaks to me, and he showed me things about my past. Like, I was raised in a Catholic church, and they used to mix witchcraft with Catholicism in Haiti. Like, they used to pull us dressed up in little angels, so there was a lot of demonics that have fell on my life. So I kept telling people that I feel like I'm cursed, and then I came to the Bible study this Thursday, and they were saying, you're not cursed, and I'm like, okay, but I feel like something is withholding me because something is withholding my blessing, because this can't be that I'm trying so hard and it's just not coming through. Do you know what I mean? This is a perfect example of when you go into the court. for her in pursuit of God. She's removed the curses that are here on the earth, but there still seems to be something, this dark cloud that's following her around, inability to break through, right? Well, I'm not going to say that I'm a very happy person, but yeah. I feel like I, I know, okay, the way I grew up, by the time I came to church, I knew I was in trouble. Yeah. I knew I saw the list of things on my family that I'm like, ooh, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. But, and I'm the only Christian in my family. I'm the only person pressing against that. So I'm like, yeah. there has to be something. And God is like, come here today after work. So I'm like, I know I need to go to court. So what's the best advice for somebody like me who actually wants the blessing, but it's me fighting and people like this praying for me. But I feel like I've never even heard of this going to the court thing. Mm -hmm. What is the best advice for somebody like me? I, I would, if you sense there is something that the enemy has an argument against you, um, I would go into the courts and, and, and demand from darkness to know. And if there is one, it has to be made known. But 
I wouldn't just do that generally. I would do that with something very specific that you can target and say, yeah, this seems like there is something supernatural, not from God, that is holding this back or hindering me in some way. Does that make sense? Um, the Lord said that by my grandfather, my father's father, was a prophet. He died when my dad was 11. So when the Lord said that, you know, you want your grandfather's mantle, I'm like, is it legally mine? Yeah. He says, yes, you can have it, but you need to clean it. Okay, so I was like, what does that look like? So I start to talk to my dad. And I'm like, what, what would God tell me that grandpa? And he says, well, it could be he's a member of the KKK. Okay, and I'm like, oh, I just found out where racism came into this redneck family. And I started dealing with it to my family line. And, and that was part of the major redemption between my father and I when he repented of that. Because he was in line. He should have dealt with it. He didn't. I did. And, and, and when he did, he, he was in the prison ministries. He said, man, God broke out. He had black faces all over his refrigerator. I prayed him into the kingdom. He's a preacher now. And he owned it. But, but somebody had to take it to the courts and break the authority of it. And then it was up to my dad to respond to what was broken. I'm going to walk in it. And see, that's the thing is if you walk in it for your own freedom, first and foremost, then you can bring freedom to the family line as they respond. That make sense? Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's, a lot of the questions have been um, addressed individually, like how does this affect me? Mm -hmm. How do you contend for a city or a region or a state or know if you have the authority to stand and, and adjudicate or what, that kind of thing? So on a larger level, um, could you expound on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that, that's something we're, we're all in the middle of right now. Uh, go, go, ahead. go ahead. You got some These crazy pre preachers that think they're, they're it. Jesus says in, 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 in Ephesians 4, he, he, I, I'm going to divide my ministry into five. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Do you realize what that did to us? Made us need each other. Yep. So as the fullness of Christ is going to pull down the principality over a city, I need at least four hangout buddies that are walking in the kingdom, and I need, I, I'm not going to make it. That's why we need each other. Now, I'm seeing Jay and Joel and what was that other guys? Yeah, I'm seeing that the other night. I'm going, Holy moly, they're ahead of the game. <laughs> All right, here's the reason why. You know the, the story of the demoniac. He comes out. He's in chains. <laughs> he says, you know, don't torment me. Jesus casts all the devils out of him. Everybody gets mad. He throws the demons into the pigs. Do you understand? You're dealing with a principality over a region. These were reprobate Jews their economy and this everybody's afraid of this demoniac that's in his right mind now and he says jesus let me travel with you and jesus says no why stay here and tell him how good i am because god will not remove a demonic principality at a regional level unless there's enough gospel preachers to take up the slack and we have been to the point where we need each other Jay's not going to be the man of the hour of this region, but three or four of them could in relationship. And God can, God's going to, Jay couldn't remove a principality, neither can I. Only God can. And, and God's going to do the math and go, I have enough brothers and sisters 
in unity with me for the purpose, I can remove this demonic influence and we can see the kingdom come into full manifestation. This is why relationship is the key to it and trust. And at that level of, of crazy preachers that are all that in a bag of chips, man, they need, listen, you know why this guy is so valuable to me? Trust each other, have their back. Listen, you know why this guy is so valuable to me? Because he sees my blind spots, and he's not afraid to point them out. You can't see your blind spots. Do you have somebody that loves you enough to show them to you? God gave me a vision a while back. Um, It was actually he and I that were running into battle. It was the old-style battle, you know, the armor, you know, sword, shield, breastplate, you know, the helmet, all, all that stuff, right? Really cool looking stuff. And our armor's like pristine and we're like, ah, we're running into battle. We and I are actually running into battle, right? It was, it was great. It was prophetic. And so we're running into battle and I look over and he's got a little piece of armor right here under his arm that the little leather strap came loose and, it, and it's just flopping. And I'm like, oh God, no. And I take my sword and I tuck it up under my arm and we're like, we're running, and I'm, I'm run. And so, so I buckle up his, his armor, and then, you know, we go in. Ah, you know. The next scene I see in this vision is we're coming out of battle. How many of you know that our armor is not pristine anymore? Right. It's, it's bloody. It's dented up. There are little places where spears. And, well, right here on his, on his armor, I looked as we're walking back, and there's a, a, a severe spear mark right in. didn't pierce it. It was right there. And, and the Lord spoke to me at that time, and he says to me, listen, it's fathers that prepare sons for battle, but it's brothers that go into battle. My question is, to what extent do you have relationship in the city or who it is, whoever it is that's in pursuit of dealing with the issue in the city? Remember, one of God's names is Jehovah Sneaky. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and look, the, the point is not revival. The point is relationship. The context of what we're doing in the city is just so we can have relationship. He's Jehovah Sneaky because he's getting us to get into relationship so we can accomplish a task, but it's really the task that he's using so we get into relationship. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? I skipped um, in line. She was supposed to be next. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I'm fairly new with the Holy Spirit and everything. and He's um, known you even longer. <laughs> but I, when you go to the courts of heaven, could, is, I don't know if this is the right word, model it. I mean, you said, Brian, that you sit at your table in the morning mm-hmm. in quiet time and, and you just ask the Lord. I mean, I mean I'm re- new at this. I don't understand. How do you get to the court of heaven? That, that, that's a great question. I think maybe that's something tonight we can talk about a little bit. Uh, I, I think it might be good for us to actually give a model tonight yeah, of, of um, how I do it. It's going to be different the way Charlie accomplishes that. And maybe yeah. I get Would, is that okay? More. You going to be here tonight? Okay, perfect. Sure. Yeah. Because we have a prodigal. Is that the same way? I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, um, take that. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or my seed begging for bread. 
That's a courtroom setting to tell God, your word says my seed does not have a legal right to not know your presence, his bread of his presence, and be successful. And by the way, verse 26, and be a blessing. I don't care what the devil says. I, my, my kids, if they want, they were, man, they were crack addicts and stealing cars. I don't care. That ain't what the word says. And that's where you go get dogmatic to God and his promises and get into the court system and release that devil's assignment that they think they made, but they don't have the right. Why? Because I'm righteous and put a demand on God to be God. I mean, when, when my son, I mean, he was, we hadn't seen him in nine months and I was at a promise keepers meeting, 46,000 men are singing for me and my house will serve the Lord. I'm like, I ain't singing this raggedy song. My kid's gone. I was mad. And, and I said, Lord, did I sin to where your promise is not true? He says, no, you've been faithful. He says, and I'm going to move on your behalf because of your faithfulness. But here's the problem. I was black and white and pretty mean sometimes. <laughs> and for years, I asked God to judge him against his drug usage. I begged God, well, if you'll judge him, he'll stop. He said, maybe if you'd love him, he'd stop. I had to deal with me first. So for the first time in my life, I heard God say, I'm going to judge him. For the first time, I didn't say, yeah, it's about time. I went, no, God, give him mercy. Because there was a position because I asked him to judge. And he said, go home. Tell your wife he will not die. I said, what? Tell Susie he will not die. Ten days later, he was on a, on a binge and had a drug overdose. At 4 o'clock in the morning, they brought him to my house, comatose. He laid in my lap, prayed, and at 8.30 in the morning, cast some doubles out of him, gave his life back to Christ. He's never done it since. This thing works, but you got to take, you got to go to the mat with it. And you got to do it in the court system. I could not move the devil off him, but God can. And I just kept reminding him and wearing my robe of righteousness that he gave me. That was always my access point into the courts. Jesus is in there. It's his righteousness that got me in there. I'm in there. And I'm doing battle with the scriptures. I'm doing that. And, I mean, he's successful. Both my boys are successful. One of the first. Brian, can I add something? Yeah, yeah. The court you're in has the jurisdiction, the power to make a ruling. If you don't have jurisdiction, you get thrown out of court first day. So the jurisdiction you have over your son and over your children is a jurisdiction because that's your bloodline. That's the promise that Charlie's talking about. And that gives you the jurisdiction to be sitting in the right court to be making those demands. Very good. Yeah, to a lesser extent. She asked, does it work with nieces and nephews? And the, Absolutely. Yeah, there's bloodline there. And so use the bloodline. And listen, there's spiritual bloodline too. Yeah, yeah. I got spiritual sons, and I actually like them better than my own kids sometimes. <laughs> but it's about covenant. Did we have? They got the, who's now right here? Yeah, right here. Uh, in the third row, and then the second row. Can you tell me how to how to apply or understand when when I'm talking about natural court? So if I so in if I 
take it to the courts of heaven before ever having to reach that point? Or what, what should I do? Because I have this like oh. conviction of part of me of this uh, upbringing and Christian upbringing, like, oh, just forgive and forget. And yet there's, there's this other part of me of like, no, they did something really wrong and they need to be held accountable. And I feel like we've taken the steps to try to resolve outside of court, but it's kind of not going that way. And so I just feel stuck. And now, so hearing about this, it's like, how do I, how do you we'll apply those two together? So are you a daughter of God? Yes. You sure? Yeah. Okay. What makes you a daughter of God? How, how, no, let me ask it a different way. How are you known as a daughter of God? What does the scripture say? It says they that are led by the spirit of God are known upon the earth as sons, as daughters of God. So I, I think our first, our first knee-jerk needs to always be, Holy Spirit, what are you saying about this? I don't need to go into the heavenlies until Holy Spirit, you ask Holy Spirit, what do I do about this particular legal matter? Do I, do I, uh, first of all, Joel is, Joel is going to give a response. He's going to say, should I sue them? Yes. <laughs> No, seriously, Joel, can you, can you weigh in on that? Because well, I think you have some insight. not until we've signed a retainer. Right, right. <laughs> well, it, it, how you get into a, into a natural court, I assume it's the same in Texas as in, in Georgia where I'm a lawyer. In Georgia, I have to sue a person in the county where they live physically. It doesn't matter what they did. They could do it in Florida, but if they've agreed with me, I've got to come to their <laughs> county and their city and file it. It's probably the same in Texas because it protects the person being sued, makes it easy for them not to be drugged all across the state and have extra expenses, which is the main logic behind it. So you'd have to do that first. You'd have to find somebody that can competently file a complaint in a, in a local jurisdiction court. And you have to determine if it's, a, if it's a state violation, if it's a local violation, if it's a federal violation, because those are three different courts. Yeah, I'm just more concerned about being, like, like just being, um, what am I concerned about? <laughs> like, I just, I, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not sure, like, is it, should I just let it go? I don't know if that's just a thought of an upbringing of, like, no, just, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't sue. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, like. Can, can you sue that, in love? That, is, can you sue in love? I love you, but there's a violation, and I want I want my retri I want retribution. That's not wrong to say I want I want what's mine. I'm going to love you all the way through it. Yeah. So so look look if if somebody backs their car into you, right. you're going to expect that they fix your car. Why? Because they're legally liable to fix your car. Okay. What if they say, Well, no, I'm not. Are you going to say, Oh, well, I'm a Christian. Never mind. Right. No. Uh, I would hope that you would say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to endure the brunt of this. My car was parked. You hit it. You're responsible for a judge. Okay, then that's what we do it. I'm not despising you to do that. I'm yeah. holding you to the standard of the law that in the land that we live. And that's a righteous thing to do, not an unrighteous thing. And remember, in, in the time that Jesus was making that proclamation, they lived in occupied territory. They were occupied by Rome. So if they took it to the courts, they were taking it to a court that wasn't sympathetic to either party and was hostile to both parties. And therefore, it was, it was taking it outside the family. We live in a country where the court system is designed for us. This country is of the people, by the people, for the people. So this court system is there to keep these things from becoming personal. 
to keep it from becoming a vendetta, to keep it from becoming an angry moment. Of, because what happens every time, I can promise you this, my father-in-law dies. Some people in my family that shall remain nameless decide that they want to take advantage of my wife and me over some of the things he owns because we're Christians. And we took it. And I went to my wife and I said, I'm taking it this time. We're on page of the paper. I don't care. We're not going to be abused because this system is here to protect us. I don't hate them for this. I'm not, I've, I've gotten to the place where I don't judge them for this. And I'm going to take it righteously into the courts and handle it there. In fact, in, in, after, the mother, after my mother-in-law died, they, we ended up in court because they wouldn't settle some things with us. And my wife's like, I feel ashamed to be in court. And I said, why do you feel ashamed to be in court? We're just protecting what's rightfully ours. We're using the system that was designed to help us. Jesus was talking to a people that had a system that was designed to not help them. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge difference that you have to see in, when you're interpreting Scripture as well. I had somebody come to me and, and, and say, hey, I went and repented to this guy. I stole his car. I asked him to forgive me, but he wants his car back. I'm like, yeah, what the heck? I asked him to forgive me. Yeah, you should forgive me, but you give him his car back. <laughs> yeah, seven, a better, but, but you know, so, so I, true forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, true repentance is a verbal request with a physical willingness to restore or repay. So will you forgive me for getting bitter with you? And you go, yes. Now, I need to make an effort to restore the relationship that I damaged. It's part of the process. It's not wrong to sue in our system, an American system. But if Holy Spirit says, you don't sue them. Well, that's different. That's the bottom line. That's, that's where you go first. Yeah, that's where you go first. Yeah. It's not wrong to sue you, yeah. but you're going to see what Holy Spirit says first. doesn't matter what your family taught. doesn't matter what the culture is. What does Holy Spirit say? So, so may, I, may I offer another thought that I think might be important? Um, the enemy acts criminally on a regular basis, right? Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. Away from you. How many have had the enemy stolen away from you financially? All right, what does the word of God say? When the thief is caught, what must happen? One of the reasons, you say, well, God, why would you allow the enemy to steal from me? Because you're a good son. But if I'm a good son, why would you allow the enemy to steal from me? Because I want him to pay you back sevenfold. Wait, so if, if I catch the enemy stealing from me, then I can demand seven times back what he has stole. That's the word of God. I mean, that, that's not even a question. That is doctrinally sound. Now, why does God allow that? Because he wants the kingdom of darkness bankrupted. And he wants his sons and daughters to get on the stick and where the enemy has stolen, not, not just from you, but from all of your generations, the ability to go back and retake. He got his grandfather's mantle. The same is true. Well, if the enemy wouldn't have stolen from your great-grandfather, that would have been an inheritance to you, which God intends. But because the enemy broke the law, 
then the enemy has to repay seven times. I've used that on occasion and am praying currently for a very, very, very large return on what the enemy has stolen away from me, and I'm beginning to see it come. So listen, God has a purpose. He wants to bankrupt the kingdom of darkness. Have you ever taken the court papers and, and made God and, and see the cape, uh, papers and say, where's my restitution? Oh, absolutely. That, that's what I'm talking about. I, I actually took I mean, it before I've, the I've, Lord I've, and said, I've had a okay, case that was, is... that was judged on, and then I, I've gone and said, I want to talk to the bailiff because I haven't got my return yet. Yeah. I keep good records. You owe me. And, and, and God's not afraid of that. Why? Because he understands his own system. And I think, I think we, I'm going to make you pay. Why? Because I have a legal right to it. He says it's mine. And, and I, I think, I mean, I've seen money show up because I put a demand on it. We have not, it's not just to our benefit, it is our responsibility. As good stewards of the authority that God puts in our hands to enter in and, and remove from darkness what the enemy is using against us. Other questions? Yes, right here. That's Miss B. Is that right? Mama B. Remember, there are three kind of bees in this world: a mama bee, a papa bee, and a hig bee. There's also a queen bee, and the queen bee is yeah, the one who needs to handle the property. I think we have restitution coming for this. Yeah, I know. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> you were talking about uh, the paperwork that the devil has this morning. And so do we rely totally on the Holy Spirit or do we do a combination of the Holy Spirit and physical to find out what the paperwork is that the enemy has against us that we can't have our prayers answered? That we can't, uh, so do we do, have this by revelation? Do we receive it uh, by prophecy? How do we receive that? Yes and yes. Find it. One, one of the things, um, I had a situation with a spiritual son that we had a real blow up. Some things happened and I called him on the carpet and four or five years later, um, we forgave each other enough. And I had to go preach this conference and I had had an encounter with the Lord about the baptism of innocence, which is greater than forgiveness. And I'm walking in all this love. And I look out, and he's sitting there. And Holy Spirit says, um, but he said, you have forgiven each other enough to be in the same room. But you can't go declare him innocent. And I sat there, and I'm like, I can't. He goes, why? And I pulled the paperwork up. I forgave him for this. I forgave him for that. I forgave him for that. And I had my own paperwork on why I couldn't go to the next level beyond forgiveness to innocence. I held my own paperwork. And, and I said, but Lord, give me some time. After I preach, I do it. He goes, this is life and death for you. Don't do it now and you'll never preach again. And I had to go, I had to, in my heart, burn up my own paperwork and realized God was trying to take me deeper than forgiveness into innocence. And I went and declared him innocent. It was so supernatural. And today we're in relationship. We're doing good. But it's the innocence of the finished work of the cross 
that I recognize that I don't declare innocent and I don't forgive her well because I hold my own paperwork against people. And so when it goes on right there, you got paperwork, baby. When you can't genuinely have Holy Spirit say, go love her. I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. That's paperwork. And I don't care what, what the root cause is. Find out what it is. Deal with it. If it's an unresolved issue, go resolve it. But that's paperwork. And when you can't go love somebody you've been in a relationship or you know, then don't go try to win the world that you don't know. And I really believe that, that the paperwork, I, I see paperwork like that. When I have a, a hindrance to be as nice as God is. Was part of what you're asking have to do with, with if, if something is available naturally, yeah. do, you, do you go and look for it and, yes, and so on? Yes, physically, naturally, yeah. like your bloodline and so forth. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a great question. And, yeah, I believe the answer to that is if, if God has given us that already, establish it so it's naturally available, I don't need to go back and look up my ancestors, look up, court cases, I mean, you know, what, what happened in the natural. I think, I think it demands us to do what we can in the natural realm uh, to our best ability, and then we approach Holy Spirit about those kind of things because he's already given it to us in the natural. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, another thing that I would like for you all to address that was brought up this morning is shame. That, and maybe pray and and. Get that off of everybody today because we can't go and, and uh, enjoy our assignment. We can't, we can't do what you're talking about doing and going in the courts of heaven if we have shame on us. Yeah, so good. that really uh, just penetrated my heart this morning Jay, that there's that many tonight? people yeah. that yeah, are hindered by shame. Let's do it tonight. You know, that like maybe during worship at some point, we just kind of move into that and just address it. I'm like, Lord, I never wanted to be a Christian prophet. And I started kissing people on the cheek and just declaring them innocent. And the testimonies that have come out of that is just the fullness and the finished work beyond forgiveness. And he removes our shame and we become childlike. And there's just, it just wrecks me every time because I can't crawl in daddy's lap. When I got shame on me. Yeah, that's right. And I think sometimes we forget that we have to go back and address that. Because the enemy's throwing that stuff on us. People are throwing that stuff on us. Parents are throwing that stuff on us kids. But I'm telling you, the finished work of the cross is the answer. And, and I, I will kiss every cheek that stands in front of me if that's what you want. And it, it, it works. Yeah. And it, it is... Some of the people that we've had reconciled some broken relationships, we sit around and we go, this is a mystery. We don't know how it works because we're a bunch of rednecks. And it's the finished work of the cross. And it's just beyond, everybody knows, how many knows you're forgiven of your sins? How many feel innocent? <laughs> Dude, it's, how many continually feel innocent? Mm, maybe. And, I, and I, I'm, you know, I got the revelation. I still struggle. I have. A couple of months ago, I was like, man, Lord, I, I need something. He says, yeah, I got this great book you should read. It was my own. <laughs> I, I wrote that. Yeah, but you quit living it. Dang, I hate when that happens. 
in that pamphlet you wrote? <laughs> that was an inside love joke. Sorry about that. Anybody who ever read the five love languages? We have one. It's harassing humor. That's our sixth. <laughs> but no, I, I and, and you know, my, my thing for the access to the courts is the robe of righteousness. That was a gift he gave me. I, I, I keep it clean. I keep it tight. And that gives me the accesses. But when I really is. And Other questions? Yeah, back there. Oh, right here. She's been waiting patiently. You're, you're, you are on. She's close enough to Come on. I don't want to be the, the rebel of this whole thing, but um, I agree with everything I'll say, of course. Um, but what happened to, like, the New Covenant teaching that he bore our sins and was a curse for it once and for all? And, you know, he... He's our bat, you know. He he's he he's the one who battles for us, and you know it seems like we're doing back going backwards and doing a lot of work. If we're doing, I'm just just. Curious. So, so let, let me answer it like this: the Word of God says that that Jesus will present to the Father the kingdom after all of His enemies are put under His feet, right? All of his enemies? The answer to that is no. So then the word is in disagreement? Well, no, not at all. When Jesus said he would present to the Father the kingdom absent of enemies, he was not just saying he individually is an individual human being. He said he collectively as his body would present to the Father the kingdom with all of the enemies removed from it. So Jesus didn't bring all of the enemies under his feet. We, as the rest of the body of Christ, the remaining part of the body of Christ, together with him, are bringing all of his enemies under his feet. So that means that what Jesus did positionally, he invites us as part of his inheritance to join with him in this wonderful thing we get to do in bringing all of his enemies under his feet, which means that if Jesus went and in his assignment created the most amazing court case and, removed, and, and positioned all mankind back to the Father, but we get to do that along with him. He includes us as the body of Christ to be part of that process. Does that make sense? Everything, it Jesus, everything Jesus said is finished is finished, but we need to enforce it. Mm-hmm. And complete it. Yeah. Yeah. It was more than enough. Absolutely. He said it was finished. More than enough to do what he intended, which means include us in the process that he began. What he started, he'll complete. The work he started in you, he will complete in you. But it's a process. It, listen, um, I, I'm not there. I have left, but I'm not there yet. I'm on the journey. And, and the, Lord, the Lord has already finished it, and I'm trying to finish it, working that out through me. There's, there's my wounds, my, you know, believing a lie about this or believing a lie about that. That's, it's just part of the process for me. 
I mean, I, I love everybody that says, well, Jesus did it, and I'm okay. Well, I don't know if you realize you're demonized, and you got this issue, and you got that issue. So we go back through, and I realize Jesus did it all. But then when you, you wind up with these factors that you can't do the math on, okay, God, I need some help. Let's go to the courts. Let's find out where the enemy, where I gave the enemy access. But remember, we're doing that in partnership with the Godhead. I, I just want to say real quick, too, Please, I think because yeah. I hear what you're saying under in your heart. And so we are called into take dominion over all the earth. So when Jesus says, I'm going, but do business until I return, occupy until I return. So he made possible everything that was necessary to occupy all legal authority, all capacity is all in submission to the Holy Spirit, right? The Father and the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now we have a responsibility of actually enforcing what was been paid for. So we're not working. We're actually just actually appropriating the work that's already been done. And that's why it's the completed work that we're applying to the situation. So when you pray for the sick, it's, it's because of what Jesus made possible in his, his redemption, right? And so in this place, I think what, like what we're talking about, we all have a responsibility until all the earth is covered with the glory of the Lord, mm -hmm. until that moment... There's still a work that's being done. It's just not the labor, you know, uh, of actually making it happen. Like we're, it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember this, Jesus was in perfect relationship with his father, but he did everything underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. So he's perfect theology. He's the perfect example. So we actually step into the example. He was demonstrating for us what it looks like to walk in perfect relationship with the father underneath the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have to actually do that because he was already perfect, but he became the model so that we can actually do that. Right? Yes. Well said. Charlie, you said that you went through the baptism of innocence. How? <laughs> do we have an hour? No, um, we don't. It, it, the baptism of innocence for me is I've been, I've been walking through with God. Um, still had a lot of wounds. And I carried a lot of shame. And so to compensate for it, I became religious. That was that little religious mean side that I had. Um, that God was trying to heal. Um, there's people by the name of Mary and Jim Baker. They're out of Ohio. It's not the Jim Baker. We, we're sharing a conto, me being the knucklehead I am. I'm like, yeah, which is a great, great preachers, Jack Taylor and Bill Vanderbush and Charlie Coker and some guy named Jim Baker. I hope he's not married to Tammy. And, just, and I made some stupid joke and put it out on Facebook. That went over well. But as soon as I got done with it, I went into a vision, and God showed me who they were. And I didn't realize what God was doing, but God set me up. He says, when you preach, I want you to prophesy over them. When you stand up to preach, well, their airplane, uh, they missed their flight, so the only thing I had was two chairs with their name in it. So I drug them up, started prophesying to them. Well, Bill Vanderbush is recording it. 
and sending it to him going, this prophet has prophesied over you. And, you know, and he thinks it's funny. He goes, well, tell that prophet to call out Mary's sin. You know, so they show up and I was confronted with around the edges and I got with these people who had none of that. We were sitting at a restaurant and Bill ordered a, a drink and I think he did it just to make me feel better. And I just asked a question to this to, to Mary. I said, have you ever drank alcohol? She goes, once. I said, really? Yeah, I was on a mission trip to Turkey. I said, so what did you think? She goes, my first thought was, why would you put turpentine in good wine, uh, grape juice? And here's my first thought. I can't be around these people. And I did everything I could to get away from them. And she started having dreams about me and how much Jesus loves me. And I'm like, leave me alone. <laughs> and this guy is really funny and preaches really good. And I'm like, leave. I, I felt like I didn't fit. And so I, I went home. Confused. I was I was messed up. And the Lord and so I went home and two weeks into that, I went into a dream. And in this dream, Mary and Jim were beating me with these weapons. They were physically beating me with these weapons. And I started screaming, Jesus, help me. They're beating me. And Jesus shows up and he goes, stand up. He goes, what are they beating you with? And they're standing there with these weapons in their hand. I'm like, they're beating me with purity and holiness. And he says, since when is my nature and character weapons to you? And I wrestled that for a year. So we're two or three weeks before the same conference a year later. My wife and I, I surprised her and went on a, a, a snowmobile trip, instant expensive tickets. Just did it because I'm so cool. And... Uh, and I'm cheap. I normally don't do that. She goes, thank you. I said, for what? She goes, thank you. I know this was for me. But isn't it good being on the other side of bankruptcy? And when she said that, I went into a vision. And I saw the other side, the finished work of the cross. And he downloaded a folder with 21 messages of the finished work of the cross. Just supernaturally. I saw a lot of things, but, but the one thing that caught me, um, I was preparing to go back to this conference, and Jim and Mary were going to be there. And I had had, I had done the first three files, and I was preparing for that. And, I, and the Lord speaks to me. He says, open up 12, file 12. I'm going to show you something. And it was this thing about innocence. It was Jesus hanging on the cross, naked exposing all of his units, everything. And it was, he, he did more than my, and I realized that as I let him, the father came and kissed me and declared me innocent. And he says, I have a place in my lap for you, my child. And for the first time, 28 years, 27 years, I felt like a child of God. 
that he trusted me. And he declared me innocent. And something got fixed on the inside. And it is the finished work of the cross. And it is a kiss from Papa. It is supernatural. It changes all the religious garbage that you that we're all grown up with or we've developed on our own. And he is pleased with us. I have a friend who's writing a book about childlikeness that'll never finish it. You know, it might might just be a good time right now for us to minister to that and and uh good just just get people ready for So listen, listen, before you respond, all I want you to do is just stand up right now. How how many of you know God desires not only to, I I don't know that I've ever said this before, but I believe this is true. God not only wants to deal with our current condition or our past condition, he wants to precondition us. Now, you guys... I may not even agree with this later today, but, but I, I believe, I actually believe we're, we're stepping into something right now. If you have had shame in the past, God wants to remove it. Or if you're currently walking in shame, God wants to remove it. If you have neither one of those, however, God wants you, you have a weapon by which to be like Teflon, and that thing cannot step and, and attach itself to you. You agree with that, theologians? Can we, can we go there? You all right with that? Yeah, okay, all right. Well, the house says it's good, so we're good. All right, and so, so I, I just believe the way that, that God wants to deal with this is just let Charlie just minister to you. That, that innocence, because innocence is what removes all shame. Are you with me? Do you need to add to that? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Randy. I mean, it's beyond forgiveness, and we've all been forgiven. But it's time to forgive yourself and let the finished work of the cross bring you into childlikeness. Know that you have access to Papa. And, 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 and just heal some of those places in our hearts. And it's supernatural. I don't, I've, it just works. Not too much proof that it works. Everybody, just want to say as the, we're continuing ministry uh, time, but we, we will be back here at six o'clock tonight, starting with worship and things like that. So you're more than welcome just to hang out a little bit if you want to. Uh, we'll obviously continue ministry, but if you want to go grab dinner before tonight, or if you just want to continue to soak in what he's doing, continue to do that. So. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, Go to our website, www.legacynb.com.